You might be insecurely attached if you think that ghosting somebody is a legitimate option. You might be insecurely attached if um, after you leave a date, you're like hyper-focused on that one look that they gave you. And if you said something really weird or if they're judging you. Yeah, you might be insecurely attached if you have an internal play-by-play of your last three conversations with your significant other. You might be insecurely attached if... Um, after you send someone a text and they haven't replied in 15 minutes, you start thinking the relationship's over. Yeah, you might be insecurely attached if after uh, things are starting to get serious with somebody that you're dating, that's when you most want to run. You might be insecurely attached if you see your significant other say hi to someone of the opposite gender and you're like convinced that they have a crush on that person. Ooh, man. Oh my gosh, Candace, these are good. I'm so excited to talk more about all these. <laughs> yeah, me too, honestly. <laughs> well, welcome well, hey, everyone. everyone. This is Dateology. Dateology, uh, my name is Matt. And I'm Candace. And we are a voice for Christian metropolitan dating. Where we collect, where we collect honest collect stories. For liberating wisdom. For discovery and companionship. And uh, yeah, we're super excited to have you uh, with this episode today where we get to talk all about attachment, which I know, um, Candice, you're as you as like American family therapist, like this is part of like your domain of expertise. And uh, I'm so excited to learn from you uh, about this today. Yeah, thanks. I have been eager for us to do an episode on attachment for a while. It's one of my like clinical and personal interests in life. And I think once like attachment is one of those things that it's almost like a decoder like once you figure out your love style and patterns there's so much power there because it has affects people so much in the way that we date in the way that we have friendships in the way that we see ourselves and it seems so powerful and out of our control that it just seems like oh that's how it's who i am and then once you get educated on it, it's like, oh, this is who I am because so interesting. of things I experienced yeah. in life and it isn't who I have to be. That is so interesting. So if I'm understanding you right, then uh, attachment is like, uh, it's, it's something like a way that we tend to relate to people that like uh, is a product of how we were raised, um, but it's not necessarily like a fixed aspect of our personality. But sometimes we we treat it like it is. Right. Yeah. So for some background, what attachment is, um, our first earliest experiences with our parents, and it starts as early as in utero and especially in those first five years of life, very critical. Um, Mm. So our primary caregivers, typically our mom and dad, but it could be, you know, grandparents, whoever raised you, their interactions Mm. with us imprint on our lives. Um, their ability to attune to what our different cries mean, their ability to comfort us, to feed us when we're hungry. Um, And Mm. then as we grow up as kids, they're the ones to teach us how to self-soothe, to problem solve. They teach us earliest forms of communication, of identifying our emotions and expressing them about what it means to be secure in a relationship that I can trust that when my mom goes to work, that she'll come home at the end of the day. Hmm. Um, So there's so many facets in who we are, how we see ourselves, the world around us, and especially in relationships 
that are yeah. imprinted. And I use the word imprinted because it goes like actually deep into our physiology. So as we're learning these okay. things as kids, our biology is changing. And we'll get into that more when we talk about the different attachment styles. Oh, but it's why it feels so, so strong and like a fixed part of ourselves. That's so interesting because, wow, uh, I mean, so I'm hearing attachment comes from some deep, deep infant level relating with our with our primary caregivers, uh, plus like how we grow up in that system with them, mm-hmm. um, what they're like, how they respond to our needs or desires or whatever, mm-hmm. as well as how that plays out biologically in us as we grow older too. Man, that there's a lot to this. It sounds. Yeah. So it, it yeah it ends up wiring into our like biological makeup. So I'll mm. give you an example. So the ideal is secure attachment. That is like okay. the I think God's intention for what our relationships will be like. So if you are an uh. infant and you have secure parents they can differentiate between your cries. They will pick you up Mm. when you are sad to give you comfort. They anticipate your needs. They might put you down for a nap before you get whiny and fussy. They Mm. will feed you regularly. They will be there for you. They'll have an environment where Mm. in the relationship, if there's conflict, people resolve the conflict and there's Mm -hmm. a high positive view of each other. And so what that does is it helps a baby and a child get regulated in life. They Mm. learn that they have needs. They learn that their needs can be met and that there's a solution to conflicts. Yeah, and that the needs are okay to have. Absolutely. And like like, I can have needs and there there is somebody out there where I can figure this out for myself to work this through. So the progression of at first that someone will take care of my needs and then as we grow Mm -hmm. up, then that parent who's secure will teach us, you know, what needs are ours to take care of and what makes mm-hmm. me different as an individual versus a part of me that is communal. Yeah. And so that That's will help a child be like have a regulated heartbeat. It will help them to differentiate which things in life should be fearful and produce anxiety and which things wow. we can just be resilient and back bounce back from. That's really interesting because I, I think I've often thought of, um, you know, I, I'm not any pro about attachment like you are, but when I was in seminary and taking spiritual direction classes, being trained in that, we did get to do like a decent look at um, psychological stuff so that we would know how to refer on to therapists mm-hmm. um, if necessary. And um, and my one of my professors, um, she was like a PsyD who was all about attachment theory. And so like that became the language that we were in mm-hmm. for the most part. And uh, and I, honestly, I don't know if it like really I really understood it or mm-hmm. it stuck with me um, until like I started having conversations afterwards with mm-hmm. people. Um, but uh, one of the things that I think you are helping me see in it that I'd, I'd never seen before is how how much it can play into our biology eventually mm-hmm. like it it actually forms like a regular heartbeat or yes. fear responses which of course when whenever i'm really afraid i'm like it's the tingles in my body it's like the tensing of muscles yes. like it all shows up physically right yes yeah mm. so we'll get into all the insecure attachments next and uh-huh. and so i'll say how this does play out is You know, for our purposes, we talk about dating. So this is something that happens and forms a lot of parts of our lives. But where we see it really play out is when we're looking for intimate relationships. 
Interesting. And of course, dating is like a place where we are on the search for like a partner that we can be intimate with. Like, right. And that mimics our first relationships with our parents. Mm. And so all of those things that are pre-programmed from our early life, it gets automatically um, like in motion when we start dating. And so that's where it feels like this is just who I am every time I date. You know, some of the funny things we said at the beginning for some people like, oh, that's every time I date, you know, maybe with a friend, they don't text you back. No big deal. But when you're dating, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's been five minutes. It's been yes. 20 minutes. I totally. like what if he's talking to another girl? What if he isn't interested anymore? What if he's going to ghost me? And so part of that is a, connected with the way that that person's trained to either know that someone's consistent yeah. or to be afraid that, yeah, no, my mom didn't always come home at the end of work. And so when someone isn't responsive right away, I'm afraid that my mom's not going to come home after work. Okay, okay. So we'll get this into that in more detail. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hop in okay. more detail. And I'd love like, because it seems like there's there's almost like a chronological aspect to yes. this. Like it starts in early childhood. That's And right. it develops over time. And then eventually as we become adults and are like looking for a romantic partner. Yes. Then we can see how it plays out yes. in dating. Which so is interesting because I think yeah. in the middle parts of our lives, it's more subtle. Huh. Um, I mean, it's still all there and we're still being formed. But it's mm-hmm. usually not until we're looking for more serious relationships and dating yeah. that it becomes more apparent. I think that's where people feel like, well, nothing's wrong with me. Like I've had friends my whole life or I've yeah. managed fine. I'm successful. But it's a unique facet that will only come out at specific yeah. times. So ah, to jump in, there are like just three books I'm going to put out there to recommend and I'll put it on cool. Facebook um, when we launch this episode. And we yeah, can put we it can on put it in the show stuff. notes of this episode too. That'd be great. Yeah. So the main book that I'm going to reference in the language I'll use is How We Love um, by the Yurkoviches. And one of them is a pastor. The other one's a therapist. It's a phenomenal book. It's written for married couples, mm-hmm. but I have read and referred it to plenty of singles um yeah and i love it it goes through secure attachment it helps you identify what your attachment style is and then the workbook there are quizzes um and then it goes through the different patterns in relationships because based on our style we are more likely to pick someone of an opposite style oh interesting oh wow how fascinating yeah also i kind of love that this book is written by a uh, a pastor therapist combo much like you and me yes so that's just right. way to go then yeah yeah so um shout out to that book another book that i refer people to and it's more of a pop culture psychology book it's called attached it only talks mm. about two main attachment styles but um if you fall under those two categories it's a, a real easy read to help you understand and has a lot mm. of good anecdotal stories. And then the last book is How to Get the Love You Want. I've referenced that book before on this show. And that's by um, the Hendrixes. It's also written by a couple. Um, mm. And it does a lot of the the deep huh. psychological work of why we pick the partners that we pick. And what like subconscious patterns are at play when we're dating. That's cool. Okay. Man. So, so everybody check those out. Those are available for added resources for this right. whole thing. But we're going to give you a primer set up on all <laughs> of it right now. So if you weren't the lucky individual that grew up with secure attachment, and the research says it's about 50% that gets secure, 
In my experience and just like anecdotally in life, I would say it's lower than that. I don't think I've mm. met 50% of people in my life that have been secure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine that number is closer to like 30%. So okay. I would say the vast majority of people have some form of insecure attachment. So okay. this is where you're the child and your parent doesn't give you all the things you need when you're a baby. And that can be a range of things from um, simply not anticipating your needs. Maybe they're very busy and so you cry Mm. and they don't come to comfort you. Or Mm -hmm. you're hungry and then they change your diaper. Um, I see. Uh, okay, okay. And that, that can makes play sense. out in a lot of different ways. It can play out to, you know, extreme forms of abuse where you need something and your parent actually mm. neglects you um, or yeah. harms you physically. But so if yeah. you aren't getting that secure parent figure, what happens is all those needs that we have as kids that are natural and built into us for comfort, for food, for security, yeah, those needs don't get met. And so then we have to rationalize in our little infant brains what to do and how to respond to that. And so that's where the insecure types are developed. So I find it interesting just hmm. what you said is like we're rationalizing this in our little infant brains. Like like we're I've heard it said that humans are just like story making creatures. Like Mm. we have to have some way to understand what's happening to us. Mm -hmm. Um and it sounds like even on an infant level with our like little baby brains, we, we yes. just have to like make sense of like, wait, how come, um, how come mom's not here right now? Right. You know, when I want her. Right. right? Uh, and of course this is all pre-verbal. It's not like we're having yes. these thoughts consciously. It's all just like on an emotional visceral level. Exactly. Right? And that's where it becomes yeah. biological because it's all felt yeah. and it yeah. comes into our chemical makeup. So that's a layer of this that is sad is because we're infants and what we know is that these adult figures are our only form of survival is that when they fail us, we don't have the capacity to say, Oh, that my mom isn't able to take care of me. Instead, we turn exactly. inwards and say, there's something wrong with me. Uh, and so that's where the narratives and stories become so personal where it later in life, you can say, Oh wow, my mom, you know, was an alcoholic and she couldn't take care of me. Yeah. We grew up feeling like, Oh, I wasn't enough for my mom. That's so true. And, you know, I'd love to let's just like put a pin in that one, because I think I'd love to explore more of what that that healing process looks like uh, later on. But what what. um, So, yeah, you were saying how um, there's like a certain kind of care uh, that was needed or desired uh, and the primary caregivers like aren't really attuned to it. Right. And so that's what leads to these different varieties right. of so uh, there are two main attachments insecure attachment cells that you'll hear the most about and that is the avoidant attached or the anxious so okay. with the avoidant early in life when they're not getting their needs met they make a choice that um, my needs are not going to get met and so therefore my needs are not important hmm. and I'm not going to seek other people out to fulfill them and so with the avoidant attached person as they grow up and date they are the type that um they might you know want to date and want relationships but they have this uh preset uh, narrative in their mind that people aren't going to be there for them so they are independent they're less aware of their own emotions they might minimize Uh, your emotions they might feel like emotions are unnecessary altogether 
They might have more of a utilitarian way of interacting with you, be less Mm. physically emotional and connected. And someone like this might be if you go on a date with someone and you feel like, wow, that was a great time. We really hit it off. And then at the end of the date, um, they don't call you back. Or the next time they see Uh. you, it's like that date never happened. Because they're so guarded and avoidant of secure love because they have not been exposed to that. Okay, that's interesting. And I, um, just to, to make sure I'm understanding, because this is so fun. By the way, just thank you, Candice. This is so fun for me. I love like getting oh, to learn good. this. I'm so this stoked. is really this cool. This is my favorite topic. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you, you clearly know what you're talking about with it. So that's super duper fun for me. And just to like get to sit at your, your feet and learn from you. But um, I want to make sure I'm understanding. So um, first we're zooming in on this avoidant uh avoidant attachment style which um how does how does that originate like in childhood um so the parent uh, isn't getting they aren't recognized or giving someone getting their needs met and so uh, the child makes a choice that you know other people aren't for me the world isn't trustworthy so i'm gonna do it on my own oh okay so there's like an instead of the or in this case the response is like my needs aren't being met therefore um, the world around me is unreliable. Right. So exactly. So it eventually kind of turns into something that's more more independent, more like I just need to figure this out on my own. Right. Uh, something like that. And I can give a quick story. There's this um, video that was recorded. It must have been, gosh, back whenever like black and white videos were. I don't know when that mm. was in the '60s or something. Yeah. Um, but they did an experiment where, and I don't think these are ethical anymore. But back then, they had less laws around <laughs> research. Um, but they did an yeah. experiment where they took a little boy and they put him in a daycare for, I think it was five days. Okay. And they videotaped him throughout. And so when he first gets dropped off, the boy has very natural attachment to his father. His dad's leaving. He's sad. He's, you know, trying to cling to the dad. He doesn't want his dad to go. And when his dad mm-hmm. leaves, he's, you know, just distraught looking around he's about probably i would say maybe a year and a half so Uh, and so that's that's like the the natural secure response is that like oh i don't want to see my parent go yes like i love you i don't you know something like that yes there is attachment so kind of like when you remove velcro it's like i need to like peel this apart a little bit but there's a part that wants to stick to it still yes exactly interesting and you see that in adults, if you know, in your experience yeah. when you're in long distance, you say goodbye to your partner and it's sad. You don't want them to leave. You embrace exactly. for longer. Um, so as the yeah. days went on, the kid, this little boy went from seeking out comfort from the teachers in the room mm-hmm. to basically at the end just starts being isolated. And, the you know, it's mm-hmm. days. He doesn't have the ability to understand that his dad will come back. And so... He is in the corner playing by himself, removed from other people. And by the time the dad comes back, the boy shows no emotion to the father. Interesting. He's not excited to see him. Wow. He leaves with no emotion. And they followed that man into adulthood. And, you know, he has avoidant attachment. And he was, you know, able to get married. But when his wife goes on business trips... He has these like panic attacks and will end up like binge eating in the house. And because that early memory is like has been ingrained as this response. Yeah. Someone you love isn't going to be there for you. 
That's interesting. So over time, it could turn into these um, sort of isolated tendencies and yes. kind of like acting out in isolation. Yes. And some of the avoidance can be very fun. They tend to be yeah. people that are travelers and can take risks because they don't yeah. have the same attachment to staying in one place or to people. Totally. Um, yeah. So they tend to be really enjoyable men and, and, and women. That, in lots of ways, I mean, I, I think about it as like, this is like the hyper-independent person who's like, like I can just move, I can take off, I can go, something like that. Yep. Um, uh, and, I, you know, I can sort of see some of this in myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I can, um, I've got like some tendencies to just be like, uh, for example, like moving from um, Long Beach up to San Francisco a few years ago. And it was just like, gosh, I'm going to miss my friends. But I as I reflect on that, I was like, that seemed like a little too easy for me, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. a little too easy for me to just kind of like, sure, move on, you know? And, uh, and so I'm like, I I've been thinking about that lately. And like, uh, I haven't done the best job of maintaining those friendships down Mm -hmm. there, for example, because it was just like, Oh, time to go time for the new thing. I'm just going to go and move on. And, um, and I think it's because like I have, uh, this independence streak, Right, mm-hmm. where uh, which might be reading some avoidance stuff, where it's like I can just take care of this, like whatever. I'll I'll move on and make a life, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I could totally see how some of that's playing out mm-hmm. in uh, played out in relationships, where if there's like a breakup I go through, I can just be like, um, of course, there've been times where I've been devastated, but there there are other times where I'm just like, uh, like all right, well done. Let's yeah. let's that's okay let's go like moving on you know something like that and it's sort of not uh not fully accounting for uh you know the peeling of the velcro right and like how there is like there was something there and uh there's some appropriate like desire to cling on to or grieve that would be there yeah Yeah. it's a, a powerful protective mechanism and where you see that in the physiology is that for avoidance that are, you know, very high on that spectrum is they really just, they do not feel connected the way that other people would feel connected. They don't. Mm. So they can, you know, leave a room from someone they love and they don't walk away with that sense that that person is still with them or they miss yeah. them. It's just like cut off. Yeah. So you do want to move on because there's okay, a few more. So the, the next um, most like uh, common insecure style is the anxious and so it could be a similar story where your parent wasn't there but instead of deciding that i don't need people it's a hyper focus on needing people so this becomes more like the clingy type of um child who has Mm. separation anxiety they're afraid they're not going to get their needs met so they want their parent all the time they want Mm. security they want to know that others are around they want physical affection And so this is a person that grows up and is really fearful that someone's going to leave them. They Mm. want to know early in a relationship that someone's going to be there. They might read into everything because they're afraid of that loss. And they like have this insatiable desire for the connection. And Mm. so there's a lot of bidding for um, validation and um, I think a misreading of you know, if someone doesn't text them back, feeling like right, right, that story that someone will, they're they're losing interest in me. They're not going to love me. Yeah, I hear in that like, because uh, I, 
again going back to this idea of like humans being uh, story creating like we are story makers as people right mm-hmm. and maybe the anxious person is more likely to want to read into things interpret things like and uh from a from a lens of fear and anxiety and like oh maybe this is this is like the thing that i was hoping wouldn't happen maybe it's happening right, right. now right yeah and uh and then it, for that story to feel like it's real for us right rather than That's like right. um like oh this is just an interpretation of what's going on but right. I, I have no idea if that's what's happening right well the uh, kicker really. in this is that avoidance and anxious tends to date each other huh so we tend to go for what we missed like we tend to replay what we had as early children hmm. um so unfortunately the anxious are used to you know not getting their needs met used to being in a process of chaos they tend to be more actually anxious and stressed people and mm. so they end up going for that striving and needing and avoidant relationships which as you can imagine creates this push and pull pattern where the avoidant yeah. you know it starts to feel like that person's being clingy and they don't trust relationships they oh, need independence totally. and that triggers the anxious person to come forward and want more validation which triggers the avoidant to pull back oh my gosh um, yeah wow. so the one thing i will say that is encouraging about the anxious attached person if you're listening and feel like this is you is because they want connection they do fare better in the healing process from avoidance because avoidance mm. have to actually build up that desire and push through the physiology that's saying it's better to be independent where with the anxious they do want relationship and that's a pure good desire and it's just redirecting that in in health how interesting um gosh there's so much good information happening in this that i'm I'm like hope you don't mind me just like trying to make sense of it because like i'm still on this piece of like um the way that a person with an anxious attachment is uh more likely to be drawn to a person with an avoidant attachment um, and like tend to date and want that person as a romantic partner because uh, in a strange way, the anxious person has grown, grown comfortable in the pattern of relating being, being anxious about what's happening with this person. Exactly. So if they have a person who is a little bit more avoidant and removed and hard to read or something like Mm -hmm. that, then it's uh it's like oh like this is my comfort zone exactly exactly secure attached people for anxious um tend to look boring so an anxious person might find or go on a date with a secure attached person and to them there's no it doesn't have that spark oh that's interesting because the spark that the anxious is used to playing out is the the oh my gosh do they like me are they going to call me back are we going to keep dating? And so that Whoa. striving is built in. If a secure person isn't giving that to you, you just might not have any of the opposite Velcro to even want that relationship. That's interesting. Yes. You and know, the avoidance uh, on the other end. This is making me think end. about like the whole idea of a spark mm-hmm. in a whole different kind of way, right? Where oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, what if the spark is actually more from uh, like a playing out of our pathology it, in, a, yes. in a way than it is like, some sort of actual real substantial exactly yeah it's kind of disheartening but in how to get the love you want in that book they talk a lot about the x factor and the x factor is the recognition of the familiar wound basically 
Wow. So we can see that we walk into a party and see that person across the room and somehow subconsciously we're like that guy and it ends up because that guy is Mm. the same guy that your dad was and yeah yeah it's it's i'm used to this it's really wild how that plays out it's a human desire for repetition you know in lots of ways like yeah and i think as a christian the way that i've been able to see this i think it's god's Mm. desire for redemption and that's cool the hope you know that we'll get to and we could talk more about is that we can reenact these wounds and actually heal them and Uh, do something different i believe it so there are three other attachment styles and we'll go through them more briefly because they are more rare Hmm. um so the avoidant and the anxious are the most common of the insecure and then the third kind of uh less common one is a disorganized, um, fearful, avoidant type. And that is the anxiously, it's basically an anxiously attached and avoidant person combined. So this is an individual huh. who their Yeah, way, how'd that look like early, early in life? So like what, early in life, out? there's typically um, more egregious neglect in some ways. It doesn't have Mm. to be abuse, but maybe you have a parent that came from an abusive background and they just don't know how to attune to you. Or they're a parent that looks more to fixing their own need than yours. So they might cuddle you when they're sad and might give you a lot of attention when it benefits them. And then when they're feeling good, they might ignore you and start talking to their friends or be on the phone all the time. Okay, That reminds me of like back in in school uh, as we were studying some of this um my professor gave the example of like a parent whose primary like you know they're picking up their kid from school and their question isn't like uh how are you doing but it's like did you miss me mm, right yeah. like there's yeah. like like it's a more self-referential like that's right sort of a uh, way of parenting where right. it's not so much about caregiving it's more about caretaking right um, yes and yeah yeah so, so I, this I can think that's create yeah a disorganized um, attachment style and, and what that means is so this person wants connection because sometimes they get it sometimes they get cuddled mm-hmm. and it feels good and and they're yeah. connected with their parent but they also know that their parent will withdraw for them yeah. so they also have those avoidant tendencies so when their parent is mm-hmm. attentive they might mm-hmm. push away from the parent because they don't know how long the parent's going to be attentive for interesting oh that makes sense yeah yeah, so this is a type of person as an adult who dates and they might be very anxious for a relationship they really want to date someone they might be preoccupied a lot with just the fantasy of dating and relationship Mm -hmm. and then they get in a relationship and that person says like yes i care about you i'm committed to you and in that you know profession of commitment the fear comes in and the avoidance so I all of a see. sudden, the person you really want wants you back and you have no interest anymore. Interesting. Wow. Because then, like, the moment that it becomes real, it's just like, uh, now I'm afraid of this relationship. And now I want to, right. I, I want to like, focus more on avoiding and getting my independence. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. You and know, with what... this attachment style, it's actually um, the most difficult to treat. And that's because it's the most difficult to identify. Because mm. people with this attachment style tend to be like stable and good sometimes and then other times very volatile. So they don't always huh. see the fact that they're a problem because it's not as consistent. 
But people in their that lives might sense. say things like, oh, you know, so-and-so, I always have to walk on eggshells because they might, you know, flip on a dime. They're a little unpredictable. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. If they don't get what they want or they sense some of that fear, yeah. then they act like a different person. Interesting. I, I'm curious, too. Like, um, I know at times people have parents who are sort of absent. Maybe it's through busyness of work or whatever or... Uh, I don't know, incarceration or mm-hmm. any number of things. Like, uh, how does um, how does like a lack of the presence of a caregiver mm-hmm. uh, affect attachment? Yeah, I, I think it has a huge effect on it. And depending on what age the parent is away and how much understanding the child has of what's going on and is it my fault. Um, so mm. kind of like with that story early on with the little boy dropped off at daycare at one and a half, your parent gets mm-hmm. incarcerated, you feel like that person left you, you're no good, you were abandoned. I mean, you see this a lot yeah, actually yeah. in kids that were adopted, even adopted into very healthy families, is there's a narrative from early on of I wasn't yeah. wanted. You know, the belly right, that right. I was born and grew in, yes. that person didn't take me home. Yeah, yeah. And even and if this, you like, were, of abandonment you know, day or, one, and it gets yeah. interpreted into your body as, I, I'm not enough. Mm, I wasn't wow. chosen. That's interesting. And it's I can really just totally see stuff. how much that would play out uh, oh, in yeah, a relationship, absolutely. right? Like, if, if I go into dating somebody and I have deep fears of being abandoned or rejected or considered not enough, or I already believe those things about myself. So now I need to compensate and like make sure that I I can like totally control the narrative and make sure that I win this person over, whatever sure. that might be. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. And how we love uses different language than the titles I get, gave. So they use avoid and attached. And then mm-hmm. they split up anxious in two ways. The one they call the pleaser. And so that's the person who to keep relationship, they do all of the things to to keep the yeah. person there. Mm-hmm. And then they call the disorganized attached person the vacillator, which I think okay. is a good term because they vacillate yeah. back and forth between okay. attachment and because avoidance. sometimes they're anxious, sometimes they're avoiding it, and right. there's an unpredictability yeah. to it all. Yeah. So the um, other two that I'll just name and we won't talk about too much, um, but these would be the people that come from very abusive homes hmm. and their attachment styles, would, they would either become like the controller or abuser, like the type of person huh. that believes that to get love you have to harm someone else um or the victim and so that's you know Mm -hmm. the opposite side of that is you're in an abusive home and you feel like abuse always happens to me and you put yourself in those patterns you end up dating the man who's physically abusive because that's the love you knew when you were little and it feels like you know i'm always the victim something's Mm -hmm. always occurring and with those, wow. there's a lot of yeah. lack of boundaries that were taught and learned, mm-hmm. lack of, you know, respect for other people and, you know, being able to navigate what's safe. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because um, what I imagine in those situations, uh, like an understanding of um, of danger becomes very that's fuzzy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, where, that's right. like... Um, I, I overcome danger or what's unpredictable by controlling it, dominating it, you know, whatever. Mm. Or the other is like um, danger, dangers all around me and mm-hmm. I am a victim to it all the time. 
That's uh, which right. might be or not even yeah. you know if if love and danger is connected so we wow. we're programmed to love our parents we want the people who raised us and if yeah. they hurt yeah. us there is a, a hard misunderstanding in the brain of like my love figure also harms me wow. and that just you know kind of becomes natural to the mind because it's and, all and we that seek out known. ways to replicate that in relationships that's oh, right that's so sad oh gosh this is I think this is the one that's hurting me the most to hear yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, it it is yeah. hard, and I, you know, I think the the encouragement in being able to share these things and the eagerness I have to talk and teach it um, in my therapy office is once you know, once you know, oh, this was my history. This is how my parents, their faults impacted me. How I didn't have mm-hmm. a choice when I mm-hmm. was an infant and a baby. And a child mm. to, you know, I didn't pick my parents. I didn't choose how I would respond. I did the best that I could at that age. No one would ever blame an infant for responding totally. to not getting the love that they need. Exactly. Um, but unfortunately, that plays out through life. And mm-hmm. so once you are now an adult, you actually get the opportunity to reparent yourself mm. and to get that security, to learn the things that you didn't before. To start surrounding yourself with people that will get your needs met. Yeah. And you can become a more secure person. Um, so that is the oh, encouragement. Is none of this is set in stone. It's hard work because it's mm. all we've ever known. And it feels like fact to us. It's our perspective, our lens in yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. But once you have the tools of understanding, then you can change. Yeah. So... So basically then, like for the person who's listening, like if you're hearing hearing us describe these and you're just like, oh yeah, I, I see myself in that. Like this is part of the process of, right. of working through things is, um, is like being able to identify certain ten- tendencies or patterns that are in us, become mm-hmm. self-aware about it. And, and then where does it go from there, Candice? Like, you know, like, so, so we become aware of it. And then you said it, there's like some hard work associated with it. Like, what does that look like? I think the hard work, and this is where therapy is one of the safest and consistent places to work on attachment because the therapist models a secure attached figure. That's Mm. one of the main ideas of just basic therapy as you walk into a room, it's secure, that person's Mm -hmm. for you, they're safety, they're trustworthy, Mm -hmm. they're going to empathize with you, they're going to be attentive to you, they'll always be there, you know, every Friday at five o'clock, you know, whatever time your session is. Um, and so being able to share your stories and wounds with them that actually, and we've seen in brain scans, works to create new neurological networks to build out some mm. of that safety and security. Wow. Um, so therapy is, uh, I can't speak highly enough on how that can help in. So, yeah. Um, and with your attachment. And so like in, therapeutic relationships are like secure, secure relationships where... Um, kind of like by being around security, like we, we are kind of magnetized to it. Yeah, yeah that's a hope is that mm-hmm. when by having that your therapist act as a parent, so to speak, it, it does start to reparent you um, mm. and you get the experiences that you didn't get before where I cried when someone says, wow, you look sad. You know, maybe yeah. when you're little, yeah. you cried and someone said, tough it up, you're fine. 
Right. But now you have someone who's giving you language for, wow, this, this is deep. This is hurting you. Yeah. Oh, this That's is valid. sadness. This is pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's um, allowed right now. Yeah. Yeah. So therapy is a good container. And within therapy or as you're doing your individual work, you know, going through how we love um, or just journaling out your story, you start to to piece together a true narrative and being able to say, you know, what happened mm. What did happen in my early childhood? Maybe there's questions we never asked before, often mm-hmm. in therapy. You know, people say, I have no idea. And then I'll ask them, well, ask your parent, what happened that first year that you were born? You know, mm. and sometimes you learn like, oh, wow, yeah. You know, when I was born, my mom's dad died and she wow. was working two jobs. And, you know, we just don't know yeah, that stuff because yeah, they're totally. little. And then it gives you context. Oh, she was in grief. Yeah. Your mom was grieving when you were a baby. She was yeah. busy working jobs. And so that helps yes. to form. Yes. Oh, I was it wasn't that I wasn't enough. So my mom's a human and that she was grieving and that she was doing her best to take care of me. Right. But unfortunately, right. you know, the consequence of that is I didn't get her consistent love and care. And that's big. And so it's like uh, some as adults, we became we become able to fully understand or more fully understand what's going on. That's right. So that like, um, even though there's this like inner child infant part of us that is maybe really anxious about, uh, connecting with people as adults, it's just like, Oh, now I see where that came from. And actually I'm building some compassion for my caregivers, my parents or my grandparents or whatever. And And I see what they were walking through and how it has affected me and how I get to like, actually now as an adult, care for that part of myself because now i get to be the caregiver for myself exactly Uh, yeah because typically there is a more healthy part of our brains we're not all dysfunctional it's very rare that you meet someone that's has a lot of apparent dysfunction typically we've been going through life fairly well so there's a part of us that can be that adult Mm -hmm. to the other more wounded and unhealthy parts of us so for example when i was going through uh, my attachment healing with the therapist some years back i put a picture of my three-year-old self on the background of my phone Mm -hmm. because it was a good reminder that when i felt certain ways that i was caring for her it's hard sometimes yeah. to look at ourselves and feel like, you know, like caring for me now. We're harder on ourselves. So we have tough language yeah. that we use. Or like, gosh, why are you doing this? But when mm. you look at that three-year-old girl and like, I think I was like wearing an Easter yeah. dress with my like Easter basket. It's like, how can you not have compassion for the story that she oh. had to live through? And that what That's I'm big. doing today and the choices that I make are actually going like back to heal her. That's great. And, you know, I think that same principle uh, applies when we're relating to other people too. Mm. Like, cause like they all have that three-year-old picture of themselves right. too, that they're carrying. Right. That's and good. I think that's where like the big love happens that can like endure <laughs> and persevere through tough things is like, um, you know, if Lindsay and I are fighting or something and um, it's actually like uh, we have two pictures of us up from in our house from when we were really little, uh, oh, we were like so both five sweet. years old and we have these up in our house and, um, and it, 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 I just like have, and I now have a picture of like, oh, this is maybe a part of Lindsay that I'm interacting with mm-hmm. right now. And, and she's interacting with that little part of me that like wants to get my way and won't stop my feet for it, you know? That's right. Um, and so I think it has the ability when we can be tender with 
the backgrounds and histories of people. And uh, I think it's a massive, compassionate, patient uh, opportunity to see people as carrying something from the past that um, is oftentimes below our awareness and Mm -hmm. not even a conscious choice, you know? Um, And of course, it is really good to kind of know the limits of that, right? But at least knowing, um, like, like desiring to be compassionate with those parts of one another, I think can really help for a more positive dating experience and relating experience. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. This is the end of Attachment Part 1 and stay tuned in the future for Attachment Part 2.